have your Bible with you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 2. New Testament book of Mark, chapter 2. This morning we will read verses 18 to 22. Mark, chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through the book of Mark, looking at Jesus as our King, what it means to follow Him. And this morning, uh, we have an interesting assignment, and I'm going to just clue you in on where I am right now, because we're going to make it today together. This is mission impossible this morning, in more ways than one. First off, this is the most difficult Sunday of the year to preach, because you've opened too many presents and eaten too many cookies and had too much hot chocolate and too much fun. We're all kind of in a Christmas fog this morning. It's hard to think straight right now, and I'm just speaking from personal experience. So we've got that going for us. Number two, this is the hardest passage in the book of Mark. This one is confusing. It's tough to think about. It's tough to apply today. And so It's mission impossible, and what I've done to try to succeed in in proclaiming this word is I've actually sliced it in half, and we're only going to look at part of it today and part of it next week when you're in a New Year fog, okay? So I'm sharing all that with you to, to plead with you, stick with me, fight the fog, let's work together, and, and may the Lord speak to us through this word today. We're going to be talking about the new way to joy, the new way to joy. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. This is the word of the Lord. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old. And a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. At some point yesterday, I heard it said, You mean we have to wait an entire year for Christmas to happen again? And my wife put a positive spin on it. That's right. Only 364 more days until Christmas. It's coming. Now, some of you may not be there. Some of you may be glad that Christmas is over. You don't have to listen to those terrible songs on the radio anymore. The tacky decorations in everybody's front yard are coming down. And we can just get on to business. Back to school, back to work, back to real life. What Jesus is exposing in this passage is that childlike heart of Christmas. As soon as it's over, you're ready for it to begin again. 
And and the reality is this, friends. When you and I belong to Jesus, the holiday season does not come to an end. Christmas is not over, and today it is Easter. In fact, the reason that we celebrate worship on Sunday is because Jesus rose again on a Sunday. That's why we meet every week, every Sunday, and it is, in fact, Easter every single time we gather. When we belong to Christ, it's always the holidays. This is what Jesus is saying with all of these interesting pictures. And if you go home and are confused about everything else, I will be satisfied if you remember that today it is still the holidays. And Jesus is having multiple conflicts and conversations in this section of Mark. And in this conflict, Jesus is talking about our heart, our mood, our joy. In verse 18, we see the reason for confusion. The reason for confusion. Look at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? At another season of my life, I was looking at fraternities to join as a freshman in college. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just saying that I did. And we went around campus to 10 different fraternity houses for an entire week. And the entire week, we are trying to answer the question, which one of these do I want to join? What do they have to offer me socially? What do they have to offer me in terms of recreation and, and education, what, what does this group, what could it do for me? This is the question that people in Israel are asking. There's three groups in Israel that all claim to have a way to live for God. And people are trying to assess how they stack up with one another. They're going through rush and trying to figure out which one of these fraternities do I join. I want to run a quick survey of these three competing groups to show you what kind of decision the people were trying to make when they come to Jesus. The first group is the Pharisee way. When we hear the word Pharisee, what do we think? Hypocrite. Just some religious snob who speaks a good game but doesn't live what he says. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees We're not a negative group. People didn't think of them that way. When they they thought about Pharisees, they thought about people who were completely dedicated to conservative principles. People who refused to live like the world and were on the right wing of society. They they liked the Pharisees. It, It was one of the most influential groups of the time. The problem is that their commitment to their principles and their expectations for others went past what God's word had to say. Fasting is the example in this passage. In the Old Testament, there's only one fast that is explicitly commanded. Only one time does God's word say, you should fast. And it has to do with the Day of the Atonement. 
Now, there are a lot of other fasts that are mentioned and that came up in history, but only one was commanded in the Old Testament. It got to the point, though, that the Pharisees fasted every Monday and every Thursday, twice a week. Why? Because they're serious about abiding by their holy principles. And so when people saw this group, they knew they were committed. They knew that they could grow in their relationship with God if they took things that serious. But they're not the only group that took things serious. There's another group that's mentioned. It might confuse you why they're even brought up. It's the Baptist way. The people ask Jesus, what about John's disciples? And you need to know that this is a different group. The people who followed John are not the same as the people who followed Jesus. Some of John's disciples followed Jesus after Jesus' baptism, but some stayed. Some continued to follow John because they did not buy in. John was not even entirely sure yet. When he went to prison, he sent some of his disciples and asked Jesus, Who are you? Decades later, decades after the resurrection, after Jesus has proven that he is the king, in Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and he meets people who've never even heard that there's a Holy Spirit and they've only been baptized by John. So this is a different group. And remember what their leader is like. Do you remember John the Baptist in the book of Mark? In Mark chapter 1, he's eating locusts and wild honey. He looks, smells, sounds like a prophet. And he calls people away from the pleasures of the world. His message begins and ends with repent. And so the people who are following John, they are way more serious about their faith than the average Joe in Israel. So they're going through rush. And the people, they see the Pharisee way. They fast twice a week. Then they look over here at John. They're just eating bugs and not doing anything fun. And they look at these groups, and they're impressed. It's obvious. This, this is a religious group. I could get in with this, these groups. I could become a godly person if I joined. But hold up. Look, look over here. There's a new group. It's the Jesus way. What is going on with the new guys? That's the question here. I'm, I'm looking over here at the Pharisees and the Baptists, and they're obviously serious about their faith. And then I look over at Jesus, and what's the last thing we saw Jesus doing? Do you remember? Well, if you weren't here last week, you can look at the paragraph before. Jesus is at a party with sinners and tax collectors. They're going through rush, and they see serious fasting and serious diets, and then they look at Jesus, and this guy's throwing down. Now, you're going to tell me that this guy, this group, can help me live for God? Get out of town. What's going on here? That's, that's the question. The sermons from Jesus, sure, they're powerful. The miracles, those are amazing. But this guy, he's basically a drunk and a glutton. What's he going to teach me about being a believer? 
And so there's, there's a couple of elements behind the confusion in this question. The first is one we've seen over and over again in Mark, and, and we're going to see it until the book's done, is that Jesus refuses to meet our expectations. Jesus won't be the person we expect. But the second doesn't have to do with Jesus. It has to do with the other groups. The reason behind the confusion is that the people who claim to follow God have gone past the word of God. Friends, you need to hear that. This is the temptation that we wrestle with today. The people who claim to follow God have gone past the word of God. But Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Here's the question, folks. How much confusion has come in our day because we've gone past what Scripture has to say? We could name dozens of examples. You just want to talk about fasting. Why should we not eat anything but fish on Fridays? Well, the confusion there is because we've gone past the Word of God. You want to bring it here. Why should we only play certain instruments on Sunday morning? Why should the music not be too loud? Why shouldn't Baptists dance? Why shouldn't we have really fun parties like Jesus and the disciples? Why shouldn't kids run in church? Why shouldn't we clap? Why do we need to wear ties? Why do we have these rules? Because the people who claim to follow God have gone past the word of God because we think we know better than God. And we want people to look at us and see us as serious about our faith. But listen, friends, these approaches to the word neither help us love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, nor do they help us love our neighbor. Because if we fail to keep these extra rules, it brings unnecessary guilt. And if we succeed following the rules, it brings undeserved pride. They don't help anybody. They don't help, you make, help make you more godly. This is what Solomon's talking about in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 16, when he says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? So, friend, here's the application. When you hear anyone talking about how to live for God, and I mean anyone, not just in a pulpit, but in your living room, on the TV, in a book, in a passing conversation at the coffee house. When you hear anyone talking about what it means to live for God, the question that needs to be on your lips is, what does Scripture say? What does the Word of God tell me about this? That's your scorecard. That's your rule book. That's how you make the assessment. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, 
Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That's the reason for confusion here in Mark. Has nothing to do with fasting. Has to do with the people of God going past the word of God. Now, the challenge for us today, if, if you haven't been challenged yet, is when Jesus actually gives the answer. It doesn't seem to clear anything up for us. It makes things a little grayer, a little muddier. A lot of that's cultural. It's hard to get to where the people are when, when Jesus gives his answer. But he gives three parables to explain what separates the new way with every other way. He gives three pictures to explain why his disciples are so different than all the other religious people in town. He's giving his recruitment pitch here with three pictures. We're only going to look at one today. We'll look at the other two next week. But he gives the answer and he tells them the reasons for celebration. The reasons for celebration in verses 19 to 20. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. I may or may not be a really good wedding DJ. In fact, at one point not too long ago, I had a career opportunity where I could basically make a side living doing weddings and making the music for those events. There's an art to being a good DJ, I've heard. You have to match the music with the mood and the people in the room. You have to know your audience. You have to know the event, what, what's going on. Now imagine going to a wedding. And the DJ is the bride's ex-boyfriend. And this guy uses the events for himself. And instead of playing the right music for the right moment, for the right people, he plays the saddest breakup songs you can imagine. And in between, gets on the microphone and talks about how it should be him on the dance floor. Ludicrous right? It's the wrong mood for the wrong time. There's nothing wrong with getting in your car by yourself and playing a sad breakup song, right? And just having a moment. It's okay to feel bad that you lost the one, but don't you go do it on your ex's wedding day, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. That's the issue. Can the wedding guest fast while the groom is with them? See, in, in Jewish culture, a wedding was so much more fun than our weddings. Because it didn't last one day. It lasted seven days. And it was non-stop action. One writer tells us, that friends and guests had no responsibility for seven days to enjoy the festivities, 
there was an abundance of food and wine as well as song and dance and fun both in the house and on the street. For seven days, for one whole week, regular life was suspended and the only thing these Jewish people took serious was of the party was having a good time. The only thing they had in mind was celebrating this new relationship that was starting. That's the picture Jesus is using. And remember, Jesus enters the scene in the book of Mark, and he takes the baton from John the Baptist, and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. He is announcing the wedding. He's announcing Life with God is here now. The groom is here. The new relationship with the king is underway. This is, according to Mark, the good news of the God. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus is saying, if this is true, what kind of music do you think we should play right now? What needs to go on the speakers while we're celebrating this wedding? Is it a breakup song? Or is it a dance song? Jesus is not arguing about whether you should fast or not. He's arguing about the mood and the time. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 4, Solomon says, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to to dance. Jesus, when the groom is taken away, when I go to the cross, you've got a time to weep. But right now, the DJ's playing our song. Let's get out there. Friends, marriage in Scripture always points us to the gospel. That's why we have it, is to point us to Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you of the good news of why you're even here this morning. Jesus left his father to take his bride. Jesus came and gave himself up on the cross so that he could make you and me one with him. Friends, there's no joy outside of that message. And no matter how religious we try to make ourselves, no how many rules we make up and try to follow, there's no joy under heaven in any system other than being married to the king being a part of the bride of Christ. You will never know satisfaction until you stop trying to follow rules and put your hope in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church, how long you've tried to be a good person, no matter how righteous you've tried to become yourself, you don't make yourself righteous. The groom does when he says, I do to you. That's why in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you ever been born again? 
And that's not something that you can do. It's only something the Holy Spirit can do inside of you where he wakes you up and makes you new, makes you realize your sin that separates you from God and gives you a heart to repent and turn away from that and put all of your hope and confidence in Jesus Christ. And what he did when he died for our sins on the cross and in his resurrection. Have you ever been born again? Friends, that's where joy is. And that happens. It is holidays all the time. You always have a reason for joy. Because even when you ran off, even when you cheated, Jesus, the groom, died for you and rose again so that you could be one with him forever. If you've never had that happen in your life before, friends, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, how many of us, that's our story. Is that your story? Have you forgotten your story? Brothers and sisters, no matter how hard life gets, when that's your story, the only proper response you have is celebration. It's joy. It's dancing. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18, the prophet said, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what troubles we face, Jesus took us down the aisle. That's why, as one writer says, that Christians ought to be the most joyful people in the world. James, in chapter 1, says, even when we face trials, we count it all joy. Now, here's the question. How many of us live like we are at the wedding? Does our faith look more like the solemn Pharisees who take pride in how religious they are? Or does it look More like Jesus, who's too busy celebrating what he's going to do with sinners. Could any of us be accused of knowing how to have too good a time? Could our church be accused of knowing how to throw a good party? Do we smile too much? Are we, are we scared that we might cross the line? See, the people in Jesus' day think that religion is supposed to be rigid and joyless, stoic. And if you watch the church today, we seem to agree with them. Watch us enter the sanctuary and sit down, talk to no one, close our arms, and wait for it to be over. Listen to us mumble verses of songs that don't resonate in our heart. Watch us eyeball everyone that's not following all the rules. 
Friends, Romans 14, 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so if you take nothing else from this, this, you should have some joy. If you claim to be a part of the bride of Christ, yes, there's hard days, but you should have a joy that's contagious. You have reason to celebrate, no matter what. Friends, I know, I, I really know that this has been a hard year. I mean, and for some of us, it's been a hard week, a hard month. It seems like there's a whole lot more time to mourn and weep than there is time to dance. And I'm as guilty as the next person, but brothers and sisters, based on the gospel and the authority of the word of God, do not let your momentary affliction and suffering rob you for your, from your constant reason for joy. The trials are seasonal plants. The joy is the evergreen. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Christmas is over. It's too late. Maybe you didn't throw a good enough party. Maybe you didn't celebrate the birth of your Savior as best as you could. I got good news for you. New Year's is coming. And you may not have to party like the next person in the way they do, but you've got a new heart, a new soul, a new spirit, a new life. You ought to celebrate. We ought to be the most joyful, the most jubilant, the craziest celebrators of New Year's this world has ever seen because of the new life we have in Christ. Have you ever heard that in church on Sunday? You need to celebrate, friends, what Jesus has done in your life. The calendar may say Christmas is over, but if you belong to Jesus, the holidays do not come to an end. Let us pray.